How's everybody doing? Good? You had a good Thanksgiving? Yes? You're all here? Okay. Um, if you got your Bibles, grab them. Go to First and Second Timothy. If you find one, you can find the other. Second Timothy comes right after First Timothy. Okay, very good. Uh, we're going to kind of be all over the place in them, although eventually we will kind of settle into First Timothy chapter 4. This past week, on Wednesday at 3 a.m., uh, I woke up, and I did not feel good, man. I woke up, I went to bed Tuesday night, and I felt okay about how I usually feel. And at 3 a.m. Wednesday morning, I woke up, and I was just sick as a dog. And uh, couldn't go back to sleep, and went out to the kitchen, and, you know, took some medicine, and drank some milk, and uh, I don't know why I thought the milk would help, but that's what I did. It's probably too much information for you, but anyway, that's what I did. And, uh, and then was up all day, and then during the day, I just felt like a truck ran over me, and uh, somebody earlier that day, uh, when they heard, heard me cough, they said, oh, you need umpka. Are you guys familiar with umpka? Anybody? Brand, I see a few. Umpka? Apparently, this is just, just, just good information for you, free of charge this morning. Uh, but Troyer Cheese sells this stuff called umpka. I think it's primarily like an all-natural stuff. I'd never heard of it before, so I went and I bought some of that. I was popping vitamin C pills like they were candy, you know, like just... Uh, trying to, that's probably not a good recommendation. Don't take anything I say from a uh, med medical perspective with any validity whatsoever, okay? Um, but that's what I was doing. And, uh, and then went home that night and went to bed early. Uh, our electricity went out at our house because it was that night that it was so windy. And uh, so I was like, praise the Lord, because there was nothing to do except send the kids to bed and because, you know, the TV wouldn't work and everything was dark. And uh, so I, and then I took some NyQuil and uh, praise God for NyQuil, amen. And, uh, and I slept for like 12 hours. And I woke up Thanksgiving Day, and I, uh, I still got a little bit hanging on, but I, felt, uh, but I felt a lot better. And I say all that because it's interesting, isn't it, that you, you can just catch a cold. Like, you can just catch the flu. Like, you just, I went to bed okay and woke up at 3 a.m., and there it was, and didn't feel good. But here's what, what I found, I'm sure you found this to be the same, is that you don't just catch health. Nobody just says, oh, I, just, I just caught health. No, we say we, we, we catch a cold, like it's kind of random, we don't necessarily know where it comes from, but yet, if we're sick and we want to get healthy, taking, being healthy, becoming healthy, takes intentionality, right? Are you with me? So, I, now hear me, like I know that we've got an immune system that God, God gives us, and sometimes, you know, things just do need to run their course, and so I guess in that sense, eventually, you can kind of catch health. But usually, we don't talk that way. We talk about just catching a cold, catching a sickness of some sort, and then being intentional, whether it's going to the doctor or taking umka or vitamin C pills or whatever it is, in order to be intentional about trying to get healthy. And... Guys, what I want to share with you this week and, and next, I think is going to be very practical and I hope very helpful, because in our relationship with God and being all that He wants us to be for Him as His disciples, both individually and corporately, 
What I want to tell you is that being healthy spiritually requires intentionality. You are not just going to catch it, in other words. Are you with me? You are not just going to catch it. And I say that because it is very possible to sit in the church, in a Christian environment, um, be a Christian, go to church, be involved, even in some of the life of the church, and still not grow into optimal health in all that God has for you. So if you want to go back to that analogy a little, a little bit ago about me being sick, I was sick. I did something that was intentional to try to help myself get better, okay? There's, so there's, there's sickness, and then I got back to where I was feeling normal. But even feeling normal, because I think this is where most of us live spiritually, isn't the same. Being normal is not the same as being optimal. Being like where you are firing on all cylinders, where you are physically... Uh, uh, you know, in the best shape that you can be and able to perform, you know, whatever physical feats uh, might be set in front of you to perform. That also requires intentionality. It might require a diet. It might require going to the gym, you know, a combination of these things, running, whatever it might be. But again, the same thing holds true. You're not just going to catch it. And it seems like sometimes Christians get confused as to why we can't get healthy. And it, it might be overly simplistic, but there seems to be, and because I've, I've seen this in my own heart in life, like at times where I've even been thinking this, although maybe I haven't been saying it, and I also hear it from other people that I talk to, is they just can't figure out why they can't become healthy. They just can't figure out why they can't um, be strong in the Lord, why they can't live victoriously, why they don't see God moving in their lives in the same way that they see God moving in some other people's lives. Now hear me, over the last two weeks, this is, if you call Mercy Hill home and you've been here for the last couple weeks, uh, that's good because these things kind of go together, although we've been in Romans 8 the last couple weeks, and we've been talking about the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I don't want to be reductionistic in any sense because there's so much that could be said, said about the Holy Spirit, but just for the sake of the analogy, the Holy Spirit in some ways is a gift to us. It's kind of like our immune system. And when we become born again, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we become a Christian, okay, and new life is now in us, okay, the Holy Spirit comes in and he now, he, like there's something working inside of us to help us overcome, to help us overcome sickness, to help us overcome viruses. And I'm not talking physically now, I'm talking spiritually, okay, although there's, it's a lot more than that. He's inside of us and he wants to form us into the image of Christ. He wants to produce this new life in us like we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, but that does not mean that it does not require us to be intentional in order to be optimal, optimally healthy in every way that God would have for us. Are you with me so far? You following me? So in the books of First and Second Timothy, Josh, you can get those scriptures up. So uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and two books, First and Second Timothy, Timothy is leading a church at Ephesus, which Paul, you know, helped establish, but then uh, has left him there as he's gone on and done other apostolic work in other areas that have not yet heard the gospel. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 6, which are the first and last chapters, also 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 4, which are the first and last chapters in that book, 
Paul uses this little phrase, and in the ESV, which is usually the English translation that I usually use, it's translated sound doctrine or sound words. But the, the word is um, the Greek word from where we get the word hygiene. It literally means healthy. It literally means healthy is a much better, a much better translation in my opinion. And I just want to read these verses because in these books, again, the first chapter and the last chapter of each one, there are other themes that run through the book. But one of the things I want to point out is that these verses at the beginning and at the end of the book, they kind of serve as bookends to the, to the letter that Paul was writing to Timothy. And the point being is that much of what he writes about in these books is about how to be healthy, how to be healthy. And Paul spells out in very explicit language what it looks like to pursue health, both individually for Timothy, which is where we're going to look in 1 Timothy chapter 4 in just a little bit, but also as a church. And guys, I, I want us to get this because it is not God's will, listen, that we be spiritually unfit to carry out the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to walk in the things that he has prepared for us to do. Now listen, we are never going to be perfect. We are not going to be sinless, but we can and we must be healthy. Are you with me? Let me read these verses and just show you where I'm getting this, okay? And then we'll get into 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound or healthy doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Next one, Josh, this is the end of 1 Timothy chapter 6. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Next one, this is in 2 Timothy now, chapter 1. He says again in the next letter, follow the pattern of sound or healthy words, healthy doctrine that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And even there, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but you see that this is not like the Holy Spirit's doing one thing and then we're doing something else. We've got to kind of balance it out. No, it's both together, okay? And then 2 Timothy uh, um, chapter 4, uh, just verse 3 there. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound or healthy teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, okay? So my point just simply being, I want to show you here that much of what Paul is doing in First and Second Timothy is telling them how to be healthy, okay? Now, put up that other passage, Josh. This is the passage we'll be in today, this Second uh, Timothy, this is, or I'm sorry, First Timothy 4, First Timothy 4, and there's, there's more to it. I'm going to read this. Do you see the underlined words? Does everybody have eyes good enough that can see the underlined words? Yes? Some of you, okay, okay, great. If not, get glasses, okay. Um, uh, but I'm going to read this. When we come to an underlined word, I want you to say that word with me, okay? Actually, you know what? Dr. James is in the house this morning. If you can't see, see him afterwards. He'll hook you up with some contacts or some glasses or something. Anyway, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Okay, get ready to say the underlined words with me. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training 
is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Next one, Josh. There we go. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, I had him underline all those verbs to see there are heavy, heavy, beautiful, wonderful words in that passage that every single one of them is calling us to action. You are not just going to catch health. You are not just going to wake up one day and magically be mature in Christ. The Bible requires you to engage in intentional practices, training, as we'll look at here in just a second, and as we just read, that will lead you to maturity. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay. How many of you want to become mature? How many of you want to become all that God has designed for you to become and desires for you? Yeah, it's a good thing to desire because, listen, it is for His glory, but it is also for your joy. It is for your joy. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Very simple this morning. I got five things. I had much more. I reduced some of them down and kind of combined them. But five things uh, in this passage uh, that kind of answer the question, what uh, is required in order to be a healthy disciple? What is required in order to be a healthy disciple or to be healthy spiritually to where we are functioning in all areas of our life as God intends? Number one, uh, being a healthy disciple requires, first of all, that you value godliness. It requires that you value godliness. And if you have your Bibles open, again, I'm in that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4, down, starting in verse 6. It requires that we value these things. Let me read it again. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. Listen, for while, the bo- while bodily training is of some value, got a gym membership, got weights at home, got a treadmill at home. That's good. That's good. It's good. It's great. That's of some value. But it's not of the most value. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. And see, here's the bottom line. If you got a gym membership, or you're getting your CrossFit on, or you're eating keto, or you're, you know, vegan, or you run a certain, you know, whatever it is that you do, that is great. But the reason you do it is because you value it. You value being physically fit, and so you are willing to invest in that because you value it. And listen, that's good. Even the Bible says, like, that is of some value. That is not a bad investment. But it is incredible to me how much we will invest in 
physical training, in physical health, again, not wrong at all, but how much we are willing to invest in that and build our lives around that, and we are not willing to invest in something that is of much more value, namely spiritual health, or as Paul says here, godliness. Godliness. And so the first question is, if you're going to be healthy spiritually, if you're going to be a healthy disciple that can get some work done for the kingdom of God, again, it's not, when I say that, it's not us doing things for God, but it's God doing things through us, do you value this? Is it, is it worth investing in to you? Paul says that it is because it holds promise for this present life, right now, but also for the life to come. Do you value it? Secondly, and I've already said this, but we'll look at more in depth here at this word train. Being a healthy disciple requires planning and very focused, nuanced intentionality. It requires planning and focused, nuanced intentionality. This word here uh, in verse 7, the word for, tra- the word for train, trained in verse 6 is a different Greek word. We'll talk more about that probably next week. But in verses 7 and 8, where it says train, rather train yourself for godliness, and then in the beginning of verse 8 where it says, while bodily training is of some value, this is literally the word gymnazo. It's from where we get the word gymnasium. And it has behind it even the idea of sweating. <laughs> like, and it's interesting just to like kind of read, like, sweat yourself to godliness. Like, that's the type of effort that we're talking about. Again, not, I'm not saying like if you just go and run or, you know, lift weight, that's going to somehow make you spiritually strong. But the point is, is that there's an effort here that's not just, hear me, guys, I'm not just talking about just a little bit of effort. I'm talking about a lot of effort. If you've ever gotten overweight, <laughs> like I have, and you've wanted to lose weight, can I get an amen that it is a lot easier to put it on than it is to take it off? Anybody? Amen. Oh, Jesus help us. Um, it, it is. It, it takes planning and focused nuance intentionality. Here's what I mean by that. Anybody who has ever lost weight physically, and you've done it by just good old diet and exercise or whatever, um, anybody who's ever had that work Never once has anybody become optimally healthy physically by just showing up to the gym and going, oh, what should I do today? Oh, let's run for a little bit, eh, five, ten minutes. Oh, that's hard. Let's go over and do some biceps. Yeah. Although there are a lot of guys that do this at the gym. It's like run a little bit, biceps, maybe set a bench, boom, I'm out. That doesn't work. You can do that, but you're not going to lose weight physically. In the same way, spiritually, you can pick this up and go, oh, what should I read today? Well, Lord, just show me, oh, put my finger there. Oh, well, and listen, the Word of God is the Word of God. It doesn't come back void. It's supernatural. Um, but guys, in th- there's a sense in which God works with what He's given and, and next week, what I'm going to do is in very practical, very practical terms, I'm going to lay before you a plan that doesn't have to be the whole of your plan, but I would like for it to be a part of your plan if you call Mercy Hill home. 
that I would like all of us to engage in the, in the next year where we are regularly getting into the same passage of Scripture every single day and where we're regularly asking the same questions of that Scripture and where we are regularly in the same rhythms. And again, it won't be everything, but it will be part of it that I would like us to engage in. But the point just simply being today, again, I'll get into that next week, but is that you, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. Um, you cannot just wake up or randomly pick up the Bible and expect to grow in it. If you want to grow, if you want to be optimally healthy, you have to be, have a plan and have focused intentionality. This also requires not wasting your time on things that are a waste of time. Look again at the text. In verse 7, again, at the end, he says, train yourself, focus. Here's the positive. Here's what you should focus on. But at the beginning of verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. You have to say no to things that are a waste of time. Now, he doesn't, I'm not, I don't know specifically what the irreverent, silly myths were that they were dealing with. Although, as you do a study of First and Second Timothy, there was kind of like um, one of the big things, one of the big false teachings that they dealt with back in the early church and that still exists today in different forms is what they called Gnosticism. And it was this idea of, of, of just kind of like this uh, very mystical spirituality that some experienced and some didn't, and you were never really sure how to get it, and yet you would just kind of, you really kind of hoped for that, and so you'd maybe, you know, do some kind of weird stuff to try to, you know, somehow just mystically become more spiritual. But I wonder what the irreverent silly myths are in our day. What are the irreverent silly myths that we run after in our day thinking that it's going to cause us to grow spiritually when in reality it holds no value at all. I mean, you guys know that like uh, there's just never, there's a never-ending stream of infomercials on TV. Anybody like to watch infomercials? Anybody? No, most people don't. I don't know that anybody likes to watch them, but sometimes, you know, when there's nothing else on TV, you just kind of click. And, but there's always some sort of crazy workout machine being sold, Right? You know what I mean? Like, like I remember one time, because some friends of mine uh, got this, and it was like this thing that was supposed to work your abs, but you sat in it, and you like held onto this bar, and then you're supposed to like go like this. Eight minutes a day, and you'll have a six-pack. And dude, I did it, and like it threw my back out, and it was like, I, like, it, like my abs didn't feel anything. Like I, it had no value whatsoever. And I, um, you guys know what I'm talking about. There's like, they're always selling this stuff. In the same way, it's kind of like in Christendom, there's, there tends to be this stuff that, that we hold out there like, this is going to change your life. This is going to make you instantly spiritually fit. Guys, that is a lie, first of all, okay? You are not going to get a six-pack doing eight minutes of crunches, okay? It's just not going to happen, okay? Eight-minute abs, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anyway, um, but like you, in the same way, you, there, is, there is no magic formula that is going to cause you to become mature spiritually, you have got to put in the work. If I had to name a couple silly myths, and hear me, because not, they're not bad wholesale, but it has to be more than this. Listen, I'm all for, and we give invitations from time to time. I may give one today. To, we, we, wanna, we believe in 
laying hands on people and praying for people. Obviously, that's, that's good, but I want to tell you something. Having a pastor or whoever, or some sort of spiritual guru, and I'm not, and listen, I'm talking about a good, good guy, good, solid, biblical men of God or whatever, like just having them lay their hands on you and pray for you while good and while helpful is not just going to boom, snap you into maturity overnight. That's not the way it works. That is a silly myth. If you think, man, if I just buy this book, this book, this, you know, whatever new book is coming out. Listen, I read a lot of books. I'm for reading books, okay, of all sorts, especially about the Bible and Christianity and discipleship and whatever it might be. That's great. But just reading a new book is not going to instantly make you mature. Same thing with Christian conferences. I love going to conferences. I love hearing good biblical teaching. I love, you know, worship and, you know, the band and the atmosphere and crying out to God. It is great. A conference is not going to make you instantly spiritually mature. It's a, that is, those are silly myths that we follow and then we're confused as to why we don't grow. And the point here, what Paul's saying is that have nothing to do with them. It's, again, reading books, having people pray for you going to conferences. It's not that we can't have anything to do with those things, but don't think that that is going to make you mature. You have to have a plan. You have to be intentional about it. And then third here, and this is the one I think we miss a lot, okay, is that being a healthy disciple requires that you honestly evaluate your character, and your obedience. I'll say that again. It requires that you honestly evaluate your character and your obedience. See, here's what we evaluate. And sometimes we don't do this intentionally, but maybe just subconsciously. We evaluate how many books we've read. We evaluate how many tests we've taken. This is why, and hear me, I, I, I want to say this, but I want to be clear, I'm not capping anybody here, okay? But like, um, just because you go to Bible college and get a degree doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be mature spiritually. It plays a role in it, sure. You have, you want, I'm all for taking in good things. But if you just evaluate what you're taking in, you are measuring the wrong thing. What you, you, there are input goals and there are output goals. You can, yes, part of it taking in, that's part of it. But what you want to measure is not the input, but the output. Okay? So physically, if I want to grow, yes, I'm going to watch my diet. I'm going to look at what I'm taking in. But here's how I know whether or not it's working. The scale. The scale is my output metric to see if I'm losing weight. Are you with me? Okay? So in the same way, let me show you what the output goals are here. Let me show you what Paul says that Timothy and, and others like us should measure to see whether or not what we're doing is actually working, okay? Let me continue to read on here, and we'll get to it in verse 12. Verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive. Again, strong words, running, toiling, striving. Because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Now look at verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth. And growing up, like I always thought this was like, 
for the youth group. This is the verse in the Bible for the youth group. And so like it, you claim that youth group kids, the students, Josh and Carrie, you know, that, that's great. But Timothy here is probably in his early 30s, okay? And Paul now is an old man getting ready to die. And he's writing this to Timothy, and so he's speaking to Timothy, a 30-something, as a youth. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but listen, but set the believers an example. And now there's five things, there's five output goals that he wants Timothy to be focused on in his life and in his character, in his obedience, that he should be growing in. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now listen, focusing on these things in your life, or like I said earlier, again, taking an honest evaluation of these things in your life is what is ultimately going to be helpful to you as to whether or not you have a good spiritual discipleship plan that is, going to he- that is helping you grow in maturity in Christ. And here's the deal. Sometimes even in evaluating our own lives, so our own speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, we can get, you know, that can get a little bit shady, you know? So like physically, you know, it's like, I think I'm losing weight. Look at myself in the mirror. Suck it in a little bit, you know? <laughs> No, we, we, need, we need outside eyes. We need outside eyes on us. If you're married, this is part of what your spouse helps you do, right? What are you growing in? And let's just, let's just take them one at a time here. Number one, speech. I hope you take more time to do this later, but just here, like in the here and now. Would you just do this with me? Think about your talk. Not just your talk when you're doing a Bible study. Not just your talk at small church or out here in the foyer on Sunday morning, but think about your talk during the week. Is it something that you would want others to see as an example? Is it exemplary to other people? If it's not, then what Paul tells Timothy to do is not just, you know, just pray a simple prayer and then like it'll be, boom, I'll never say anything bad again. Paul's saying, no, Timothy, you need to go after this. You need to toil, you need to strive, you need to train, you need to sweat. You need to look at your life, and you need to engage in intentional repentance where these things are not so. And if that means you have to have honest conversations with people, or you said something, you know, to a co-worker or a group of co-workers last week that was kind of off color and it wasn't right, you need to go back and say, you know what, guys, I'm a Christian and I'm I'm sorry, but I I know this might be silly to you, but I, I shouldn't have said that last week. That's not in alignment with what God has for me. Let me tell you something, that'll burn it out of you. (laughs) That'll sweat yourself to godliness. But see, we don't do these things. What we want many times is just, again, I know I I use this all the time, and I kind of see some of you like roll your eyes because there he goes again, but the magical Christian pixie dust that's just going to be fluttered down upon us, and then we're going to be magically changed. It does not exist. Train yourself for godliness. Not only your speech, but your conduct. The way that you act in general. This is kind of like an attitude thing. Would, if people were to just look at your attitude, would they say that you have Jesus living in your heart? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Or is your demeanor generally so many Christians in your love. See, many times when we begin to talk about these things, this is important because 
many times when we talk about taking an honest evaluation or taking stock of our lives and whether or not they're honoring and glorifying to God, we, all we think about is not sinning. Well, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls that do, so they gone it, I'm good. That's, it's not just about not doing things. It's about loving people. How well have you loved people this past week? And again, the love, our standard for love is not just something that we make up. It's not, it's not what our culture tells us. It's something that we get to define. The Bible defines it. And the Bible defines it as this. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. And friends aren't just those people that love you well in return. That's the world's love. The love that Jesus talks about is loving even your enemies and being willing to sacrifice to that end. How well have you loved people in that way this past week? In faith, when things get difficult, do you complain? Do you murmur? That's what kept the people of Israel out of the promised land, by the way, was unbelief and murmuring together. They just constantly murmured. Or do you have a real faith that says, you know what, I don't know how this is going to work out, and if I'm being honest, yes, I'm a little bit afraid, and I'm scared, and I don't know, but you know what, God has never failed me. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to believe him. And then lastly, in regards to purity, that there's, that the world, guys, in all the sin, that the world holds out constantly saying, you need this, you need this, you need this. If you just have this, this will make you happy. Are you pure? Is your life an example of what it means to be pure? And again, guys, each one of us, listen, again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I am talking about health. This is what, this is what God desires for us. Now, if we steadily have a plan, focused, nuanced intentionality, saying no to things that are a waste of time, not wasting our time with things that are a waste of time, and we're taking an honest evaluation of, of our life. Get this, because th this is this verse right here, this, this actually blows my mind. I knew it was in here, but as I got back into it this past week, I was like, man, that is, that is heavy and convicting, and it is hard to get around. But watch this, okay? If we're doing these things, then the progress in our life should be noticeable by others. Think about this. This is incredible. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. See, I'm all for praying, laying hands, prophecy, everything. But that in and of itself is not enough. He says, verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, listen, so that all may see your progress. Have you thought about this before? Maybe you have. I don't know. Like, I don't think about this all the time. And this is extremely convicting to me, okay? As a pastor, you guys should over time, okay? Now, obviously, there's a way that you could do this that would make me just want to quit and be really depressing to me. Like, but like, I don't need you to nitpick at my life, and I'm not talking about nitpicking at anybody else's life. But over time, you should see progress, in my maturity in Christ. But here's one more thing I just want to debunk for a second, and I'm not just saying this because 
I'm a pastor and an elder, um, and to hold myself to any lower standard, but to raise the bar for all of us. One of the things that I hear Christians say many times, and I know where they're getting it from, but it's wrong, and it has to stop, and we've got to address this. Is Christian, I'll hear people say this many times. Is Well, you pastors, you preachers, you elders, whatever, you're held to a higher standard. Look at me. Look at me. No, we're not. No, we're not. Let, 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 now, let me explain, because I think even right now, some of you are like, wait a minute. I thought, no, nowhere does the Bible say that I am held to a higher standard than what you are. We are all held to the same standard, which is Jesus and his life. An elder or a leader in a church is supposed to be somebody, though, who is an example of that. Again, not perfect. That's why we have the example of Jesus in the Gospels and the way that he lived. But I am not called to this standard, and you are not called to this standard. Brothers and sisters, we are both called to the same standard, which is fullness of maturity in Christ in all of us. Do you know that? Are you with me? So like, here's the deal. You cannot get out this morning by going, well, or this was to Timothy, and Timothy was like an elder overseer in the church in Ephesus, and so, you know, I just, I'm just a church member here in Walnut Creek or Berlin, wherever we're at. Um, so I, I got off the hook. That is a lie. We are all held to the same standard. Elders in a church are supposed to be exemplifying that standard. Okay? Are you with me? So we all have to own this together. And so this command that all may see your progress, can people see progress in your life? How have you changed in the last year? And listen, I have no desire to just do a, you know, a drive-by condemning this morning, okay? I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be built up, but I also want you to be honest because you cannot get to where you want to be unless you're first honest about where you're at. If I want to go to Canton, I got to know whether or not I'm starting in Dover or Strasburg or Millersburg because it's going to make a difference how I get there. And if we're aiming to get to maturity, you have to be honest about where you're not mature, and about where your life isn't an example right now, so that you can get there. And brothers and sisters, there's no shame. There's no shame. Because in the end, all we have is Jesus, and yes, His Holy Spirit in us, but we also, as we're seeing here in this text this morning, I hope you're seeing, like, we got to get after it. If we want to grow, then we got to go. We have to engage. Um, but again, doing this, I think, also in community, whether that's just family or friends or people that know you, um, I hope that just in the life of Mercy Hill Church and in small church and in discipleship groups and different things like that, that we're all pursuing, that we're all pursuing these things. Real quickly, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. This isn't on the screen, but let me just read it because Paul sums this up so well here again. Again, throughout these letters, he's saying so many of the same things over and over again, just in different ways. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, he says, So flee, so run away from youthful passions, and pursue, run towards righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But then he says this, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There's such a wonderful little formula in that verse, that you run away from sin, you run towards righteousness, and you run with people who are running the same way. That makes all the difference is that running with a group of people who are all wanting to pursue this and grow and grow in Christ-likeness, okay? Okay, worship team, you can come up. We're going to close. Uh, 
as we close, I just want to give you just one more thing that is required of us, okay? And this is important, and I'm not just making this up, and I'm not just saying it just to soften everything else in the text, okay? Because I know that this has kind of been some heavy stuff this morning. Um, But I'm saying it because I see it in the text. And I read it already, but look again at verses 9 and 10. He says, this saying, again, in the midst of all this exhortation to toil, strive, train, pursue, devote, practice, immerse, in the midst of all these things, the gospel is always central. But the last thing that is required in order to be a healthy disciple is that you absolutely, positively understand grace. You got to get grace, guys. Verse 9 and 10, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And right in the midst of all this exhortation, Paul lays out the gospel, for to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Especially of those who believe. Is guys that this morning, you know, in all that I, you know, I've been trying to call you to and hopefully just show you from the text where I'm getting this and that I'm not just making this up. Um, all of this, and Paul's assuming this in, the, in this text, and, but again, it's, you never want to, want to assume, right? <laughs> We don't want to assume anything. And so even again here over and over to somebody who obviously knows this like Timothy, again, in the midst of all this exhortation, Paul says, Timothy, don't forget that Jesus Christ is the Savior. It's not you. And yes, our effort matters. It matters big time. We work with God in our sanctification, in our Christ-likeness. But in the end, all we ever have, and this is why I love finishing with communion every week, because in the end, all we ever have is Jesus. And guys, that's enough. And as we talked about the last couple weeks, I just want to close and I just want to like just say this to you. I want to speak this over you. I also want to give an invitation, just pray for anybody at the back that feels like they're there this morning. But I run into so many Christians that they might not always say it this way. Sometimes they are brave enough to actually say it and to articulate it. But sometimes they're not and it's just the feel I get. But, but if you're here this morning and you feel like you just can't change. Like it's just not possible. You've had the same sin issue for so long, or you just, you don't see God using you or working through you like you see him using or moving through other people. If you feel like you're just stuck, okay, I want to tell you, you do not have to stay there. And sometimes we do get stuck, but then what happens is we get stuck and the enemy comes in and he doesn't care if we're down. He will kick us while we're down. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he's put that lie into your mind this morning that, man, Eric, I I hear what you're saying, but you just have no idea how long I've struggled with this or how long I've just, I've tried to overcome and man, I've, I've done my best, but I just can't do it. I want to tell you this morning, that's a lie. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, and his grace that is always abundant for you, guys, it is enough. And so I just want to give an invitation this morning that just for those, if you you feel stuck, and brothers and sisters, please, I cannot tell you, I try to be as transparent with you on a regular basis as I possibly can be all the times in my life where I have felt stuck. And all the times that I have even gone to the elders and asked them to pray for me 
and to help me overcome. I say that because there is absolutely no shame in feeling stuck, but I don't want you to stay stuck. It is God's will that we go on to maturity. Amen? And it's all because of what Jesus did. It's all because of what he did. And again, over the last two weeks, we've looked at how part of the whole package deal, so great a salvation that we have, is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Okay? The most powerful being in all of the universe lives inside of you, and he wants to make you like Christ. You have a good chance of becoming more and more like Christ, because that's true. He wants to work in you to form Christ in you. And so as we come, and as we sing, and as we uh, you know, partake of communion, I'm going to be at the back. Maybe Matt, Conrad, if you guys are back there as well too, and are able to, I'm going to have them also just pray for, pray for us this morning. But if you're serving communion, you can come, and we'll just continue to worship. And again, guys, please.